Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Last week in our study of the book of Romans chapter 12, Pastor Murphy showed us that a Christian should have brotherly love towards other believers. Today, we'll see that a Christian must also honor and prefer his Christian brother. Okay, if you've got your Bibles, you need to turn with me, please, to the book of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, I'm reading from verse number 10 of Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read from verse number 9 to verse number 21, but we'll come to our text in verse number 10. Well, let's read from verse number 9 to verse 21, a very short passage, but um, a subsection of Paul's writings. Um, so we have here in verse number 9, he said, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. In honor... Preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one towards another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible... As much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, you shall heap coals of fire upon his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We're going to pick up verse number 10, where Paul writes, Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. Let's ask the Lord to help us this morning. Father, we seek your help and we seek your assistance as we open your word. Would you give us the kind of insight we need into Scripture that would help us not only to comprehend and understand what the Apostle Paul is teaching, but also enable us to see how it applies to us and how we can appropriate it in our daily living. We pray that we might not see these exhortations as that which pertain to another generation and not applicable to us. But remind us that this is your word and your word is spoken to your people, and we today are your people by faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
So the word of God is designed for us as well this morning. And our primary concern surely must be how do we implement, how do we put in order these things in our lives? What do they really mean? And in practical terms, how can we enforce them? I pray, Lord, this morning for those who are here, that they would be inclined to listen to your word. Uh, we pray for those who perhaps are not saved. Uh, may something we say during this morning uh, move them to that encounter with Christ where they put their faith and trust in him. But above all, this morning we pray for your people, your church, your family. And we ask you that we would understand that it's only when we uh, put these things that Paul stipulates into practice in our ministry uh, among ourselves that we will become the kind of New Testament church that honors God and glorifies him. And may this be our desire this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. It should be no surprise for anyone who is vaguely familiar with the Apostle Paul's style of writing, that now he's coming to the final section of this epistle, that he should focus on the practical aspects of our daily life and how we can apply the doctrine he has taught us in the previous chapters to our daily living. Paul's teaching is always followed by Paul's calling to right living. After he gives us the doctrine, then he talks about the practice. How do we put this doctrine into practice? And therefore, in this closing, this closing section of chapter 12, you find that the Apostle Paul issues 24 admonitions or 24 injunctions to the church. These admonitions or these injunctions uh, coalesce or center around two major themes. It has to do with our attitude and it has to do with our reaction. In verses 10 and 11, he talks about our attitude. In verse 10, he talks about our attitude towards each other. In verse number 11, he talks about our attitude towards our work and our service for the Lord. What shall our attitude be? Attitude, by the way, quite frankly, is what sets the tone for everything. If you have a good attitude or a bad attitude, it will determine how you respond and how you act and how you behave and how you relate to other people. And that's why Paul starts with attitude. In verses 12 to 20, the Apostle Paul deals with the whole question of our reaction. How we react to, in verse number 12 and 13, how we react to circumstances of life. When you face trials and testings, how, do you, how, how is a Christian supposed to respond? How are you supposed to react? Paul deals with that in verse number 12 and 13. In verse 14 to 16, Paul deals with our reaction towards people. By the way, anytime you've got people, you've got problems because we're all part of the problem. See? Uh, you'll never have a group of people coming together where you don't face problems. It's just a reality of life. You know why? We're all different. We all have different expectations. We all have different motives. We are all di at different levels of Christian maturity. And therefore, you're going to have elements where there's a clash between individuals. The question is, how do we react in those situations? And then in verses 17 to 20, Paul talks about reaction towards evil. When somebody does you wrong and deliberately uh, tries to undermine you or to 
hurt you in some way? Do you do tick for tack? How were the Christians supposed to respond in those circumstances? We should not be surprised, therefore, that it deals, first of all, with attitudes and reaction. Because it's our attitude that determines how we react to people. And that's why Paul has this distinct order. We all know that wrong attitudes and faulty reactions generate failure and divisiveness. But we also know that right attitudes and wise reactions result in success and harmony among people. This, I believe, uh, is quite deliberate that Paul would give it in this kind of order because it is very, very logical in these matters. Now, when we talk about attitude, by the way, we're talking about your disposition. We're talking about your feelings. We're talking about your opinions. We're talking about your mindset towards other people and towards things. That's the crucial matter. And when you have an attitude, it colors every aspect of your life on how you see things. It's like the spectacles you wear. Your attitude is your spectacles. And you see people and circumstances through your spectacles or your attitude. And it's so important for us to have the right attitude. If we have the right attitude, it brightens us so that we become more optimistic. If we have the wrong attitude, it darkens us so that we become more pessimistic in our dealings with people. It all boils down to attitude. I remember reading a story of a shoe salesman who was sent to a part of Africa. And when he was sent to this part of Africa, he I can't say email because it was back in those days. He uh, t t telegraphed and told the people, listen, get me home, get me home. Nobody wears shoes in this part of Africa. And then they sent another salesman. And same place. And the man kept sending order after order, order. He said, everybody in Africa needs shoes. <laughs> it's, it's all about attitude, how you see things. By the way, I'm not trying to demean this African society. We're just saying that, that that's, that's the reality. See? How you see it? One person sees that because nobody has shoes, nobody wants shoes or needs shoes. But you don't have shoes, you need them. It all boils down to how you see your perspective, your attitude. And that's why Paul, in dealing with these 24 injunctions, these 24 admonitions, he puts one pile into attitude and then he deals with reaction because... Reaction flows out of attitude. Deal with attitude, and you're going to get the right reaction. See? And that's why Paul begins with this whole matter of the believer's attitude. The situation may not change, but your attitude can. See? And that's what makes a lot of difference in trying to bring about the resolution and the solving of uh, relational problems among people. So similarly, when Paul is going to begin giving these admonitions and these injunctions to the church people to say, okay, I've, I've taught you all of this profound doctrine. I've spent all these chapters dealing with these great biblical doctrines. Now I, I want to talk to you about putting these doctrines into practice. But when I want to begin with that, I want to begin first of all with your attitude towards each other. You know, you may be concerned about reaching the world, and that's the purpose of the church, to evangelize. But before you can reach the church, you've got to make sure that you have a right relationship among yourselves. 
Your attitude towards each other will reflect your attitude to the people outside. So solve the attitudinal problem in the church. Then you can talk about evangelizing and, and carrying the gospel beyond. But let's start with home first. See. So last Sunday, we saw that the Apostle Paul began this great uh, practical section. And uh, we saw that we looked at the first part of verse number 10, where Paul says, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. So the first attitude that Paul wants within the church is an attitude of brotherly love. And the word brotherly love means to have an affectionate love for another. But the Apostle Paul is even more concerned to understand, I don't just want any kind of brotherly love. I want a distinctive kind of brotherly love. And that's why I said uh, in verse number 10, be kindly affection one to another in brotherly love. The word kindly affection uh, is the word philostargos. I want you to have brotherly love towards each other, but I want to have the kind of philostargos brotherly love. What does that mean? I pointed out last Sunday morning, that the word philostargos means the kind of kindred love that you would have for your natural family. You have blood family and you have a natural love for your blood family. That's what Paul is saying here. You must carry over the same kind of love you have for your blood family into the, the church and love your brother and your sister. You love your blood, blood family. That's the biblical teaching. See? We are to love each other as though we were blood, our blood relatives. That's what Paul is saying. He's now taking love to a different level, not just that I, you know, I can love the guy in the street because he is a creator of God, a creature of God. But I can't love the man in the street like I can love my brothers and sisters in Christ. Impossible. What the Apostle Paul is reestablishing here in the church, that we are now part of a very special new family, which Paul calls in Ephesians chapter 19, the household of God. See? God has created a new family by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So we are now brothers and sisters in Christ, and the same affection that we have towards our natural blood brothers and sisters, Paul has said, carry that over into the church and love your brother and sister as though he was your flesh and blood. You see the ridiculousness of people saying, well, let's move past this verse of Scripture because we understand it. Do we? See? And that's why we must spend time on verses of Scripture that we think we understand to really get into what the Bible teaches on this matter. I pointed out in dealing with the sermon last week that is this quality of brotherly love that is what I call the chief evangelistic apologetic of the church. Our Lord said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you do what? Love one another. In other words, this is the badge that we should wear, the logo that we should carry. That when the man, by the way, you know when you see a vehicle pass, you see the logo of Toyota on it or Lexus on it. You don't have to ask you know, the, the logo is there. And that's what it should be for the Christian. See? This should be our logo. This should be the mark, the benchmark that says to people, these people really belong to Christ. They're true disciples. 
it is not significant. So in my message last uh, Sunday morning, I talked about what that looks like in practical terms. I talked about how do we come to that point where we can love each other as blood brothers and sisters in Christ. I explained that last Sunday. And then I also explained why is it so critical for us to try to come up to this benchmark that Paul requires of us. And I mentioned that there are five great verities of the Christian faith that our love confirms. I talk about it, fact, it, it shows that we are true disciples. It shows that we uh, truly love God. It shows that we have got a true, a true spiritual inner relationship with God. It shows also that we have a, a true transformation. We've come from light, from darkness into light. And fourthly, I showed you that it demonstrates that uh, we have a practical love for our brothers and our sisters because it's not just saying that we love. John tells us we must love in, not just in word or in tongue, but in deed and in practice. John tells us that. But could I say this this morning? Love is not the only attitude that the Bible demands of a Christian. Because the Apostle Paul says, in addition to our brotherly love, we must now cultivate and add to that something else. Look what he says in verse number 10. Be kindly, kind unto another in brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. Now, what does that mean? I don't have to tell you that we are now living in what I call an increasingly narcissistic world where self-interest has become the preeminent virtue that people seem to be absorbed in. When you look at the modern way of thinking, the modern way of life, the emphasis seems to be on self-love, self-autonomy, self-improvement, self-actualization. As a matter of fact, these things are touted as the way to elevate and achieve your goal of self-fulfillment. Everything is about self. But yet Paul says, in, in this particular verse, in honor, preferring one another. The world says, make yourself number one. Let life revolve around you, number one. Go after that which will bring you the greatest fulfillment and the greatest self-actualization. That's what the world says. And by the way, we are told that the greatest love is to do what? Whitney said it. The greatest love is to what? Love ourselves. That's what she's saying. I think she's discovering that is not the greatest love now. See? But that's what the world says. The greatest goal, according to Maslow and his hierarchy of needs, is self-actualization. Achieving the best for yourself. The greatest good is self-fulfillment. And the greatest worry and the greatest wrong you could ever do is what is called self-denigration. Demean yourself. Yet that's exactly what the Bible says. We must hate ourselves. We must deny ourselves. I'm saying to you that the world's thinking, the world's philosophy, the world's ideology is so contrary to Scripture 
So when we come to passages of scripture like this, we begin to understand that the narcissistic world in which we live is that pulls apart from how God wants us to live. He wants us to put others before ourselves. Let each esteem himself better than himself in honor, preferring one another. Today we're told that we need to exert ourselves, we need to express ourselves, we need to enhance ourselves, we need to extol ourselves, we need to exalt ourselves, and we need to elevate ourselves. It is called narcissism. Okay. Uh, and by the way, if you were to look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 5, you, you can look at that in your leisure. You'll find that the Apostle Paul says that in the last days, perilous times will come. Violent times will come. That's what it means. And you know what heads the list? He talks about 19 characteristics that will mark the perilous times. You know what heads the list? Men should be lovers of themselves. You know what ends the list? Huh? Men should be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. See? In other words, God saw a way ahead of us that a narcissistic world would eventually develop where the self takes precedent and all people are concerned about is themselves. But Paul is saying, that's not the way you as a Christian should be. See? And therefore, he's calling upon these believers not only to love each other, but one of the ways that you can demonstrate your brotherly love at the, at the, at the, at the same level of your um, blood relatives is to give preference to the other person. In honor, preferring one another. Putting the other person ahead of yourself. Promoting the other person. See? So there are two songs that are going to be sung this morning. You know what your thinking should be? If the pastor or the song leaders, well, we can only have one, we'll let the other person go ahead of me. That's how it should be. It shouldn't be, well, you know, if there's going to be singing in here, I'm the one going to do the singing. That's not the attitude. See? Christianity is completely different than anything the world has ever seen before. They've never seen anything like this. And you know why? It's just like God. He's so unique and so different, so selfless in his love. And therefore, he wants us to reflect that selfishness in how we display our attitude towards one another. And that's why Paul talks here in these terms. So how different the sentiment of Scripture is and how opposed and how contrary to the brazenly selfish, narcissistic world that we live in today. How does God want us to be so different? And how God wants us to subordinate ourselves for the advancement of others? See? God wants you to be a ladder on which people can climb and get success. See? Rather than you climbing on other people to achieve success. He wants you to be the instrument that is used to help others and help them to go towards success. So the language of Paul is a complete repudiation of the narcissistic ideation that now rules this world. He's calling and asking us to be very, very different. 
I want to look at these terms so we have a better understanding what Paul means by this and how does it relate to us in these terms. What does he mean when he says, in honor, preferring one another? What does the word honoring mean in the Bible? Well, the Greek word is a word teme. And it refers to a price that you fix on something or an object after you spent the time evaluating how much it is worth. I repeat that. The word honoring here to me refers to what value you put on this after investigating and evaluating its worth. That's what honoring is. So what Paul is saying is, you look at the other believer and you evaluate what gifts God has given to that believer. And based on your evaluation, having observed that believer's life, put a value on it. And when you put a value on it, always try to make sure that you put a higher value than you value yourself. See, That's how Paul is saying. Honoring one another. Valuing one another more highly than we value ourselves. Evaluating other people higher than you evaluate yourself. By the way, I'll come to this where Paul thought he was the least of all the, the apostles. And he was the least of all the saints. He can only come to that conclusion after he evaluated himself, not by comparing himself with other people, but evaluating himself against Christ. See? When you do that, you feel that you're less than a worm. On the other hand, if you compare yourself with another person in the church who is less than you, man alive, you look pretty good. It all has to do with attitude and perception. And that's why Paul is emphasizing not only love, but love that adopts the attitude of seeing the other person as better than yourself. See? Not always wanting to be number one, to be the limelight, to be the chandelier. You can be a little sidewalk light as well that helps people to know the wall. You don't have to be the bright chandelier that draws people's attention to yourself all the time. See? This is what Paul is dealing with and how much that is needed in the church. You know, when I, if you're going to, if you wanted a, a ring or you wanted a, a watch or you want a pair of shoes or maybe your ladies wanted a dress or you want a hat or maybe you want a car, you go into the showroom or you go into the store and you start searching. And you see different prices. You might think that one's a little bit too high, that one, gosh, that, that's made of gold, it costs so much. You're evaluating. This is what Paul is saying here again in the passage. That's how, that's how you're supposed to, that's how you do, that's honoring. We have a, a, the false concept. That's why I say that we need to know what Bible terms mean. Because when the, the King James Version was written, they understood what that word meant. We don't because language changes over time and have different meanings. Take the word gay. Gosh, who would ever think that you can't use the word gay today? If I were to come by Brother Chris, Brother Chris, you look very gay today. I might get a punch, right? Because the, the word no longer connotes the idea that you're happy, you're joyful. It connotes that you're one of them, right? 
So you've got to be very, very careful what language you use. Same thing when it comes to the Bible. There are times when you have to dig deeper than there is in the King James to find out what the word means by going to your lexicon or going to your concordance. So that's the word that Paul uses there, the word honor. Notice the next word that Paul uses here in honor, preferring one another. What does that mean? Well, again, it's a very big Greek word, pro-egiomai. And that word means to go before. To go before someone is an example or in deference to a person or in regard to a person. It's like a man going before a lady and opening the door that she can go to, showing respect for her. That's what the term means. See? So Paul is saying, be forward. Go before and be always willing to promote the other person before you promote yourself. See? Just like you honor a, young, a lady by opening the door, showing that you honor her, Paul is saying the same thing. Put other believers before yourself. Don't keep pushing yourself and pushing yourself to the front. Put other people in place of yourself. See? In other words, you should want to be incognito. Elevate others. And by the way, when you do that, in a very real way, you're, describing, you're displaying what Christ was like, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality of God something to be held on to, but made himself of no reputation and became a servant. King of heaven becomes a servant. I was not watching something yesterday, but as I was coming through the front house, I, I saw um, something being shown, and the guy was talking about um, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And he said, they didn't wear socks back in those days, you know. They didn't wear shoes back in those days. They're walking and all they got a sandal with all the dust and all the dirt. Can you imagine? Can you imagine anybody in here wanting to wash Pastor Murphy's feet? Huh? I want to wash. No, no, we're too dignified for that. But yeah, that's what he did. See. We must always have a servant mentality, a servant attitude. We must always try to see others better than ourselves. Try to see them that way. Treat them that way. You don't always rush to the first at the, at the, at, in the line. Why well, you have to be first in line? See? Let other people go before. See? 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 That should be your attitude. No, let the ladies go first. Let the visitors go first. See? You can, you can, you're, you, you're still going to get what's yours, but you don't have to push ahead all the time. Attitude. Attitude. Putting others before self. So this word means to go before. It means um, uh, to show deference, to show regard. Uh, Vincent, in his word studies, uh, translates it this way. He said, leading the way and showing your honor that is due to others. Leading the way. See, Being forward in this matter. If you want to be the first... 
Always be the first to push other people before you. See? If you want to be first. This is a mindset that Paul is saying. You've got to inculcate that into you as a Christian because it is not something natural. Man is naturally selfish. I repeat, man is naturally selfish. So we have to act contrary because we are not carnal, the Bible says, we are spiritual. We've got to force these things on ourselves, by the way, sometimes. Because that's not, the, that, that's not the way we were taught in school. That's not the way society teaches us. Everything in society says, get be number one, be first. See? Take care of yourself, then others. God says it's the very opposite I want among you as a church. Now, to properly understand what the Apostle Paul is saying, I think we need to keep in context the passage that Paul is dealing with. Remember, in the earlier parts of this chapter, the Apostle Paul is reminding believers that they all have been endowed with gifts. In verse number three, he said, God has given to every man the measure of faith. In verse number four, he says, all members have not the same office. In verse number six, he said, having gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. So we all have gifts, we all have grace, we all have faith, but it is not at the same level. We have not been given the same gift. So he cautions us in verse three. I say to every man among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according of God to dealt to every man the measure of faith. In other words, we all have gifts, but we all, all our gifts are not the same. And we ought to be not, not to be so conceited in regards to our gifts. So he's saying to you here, take the lead. And be forward in honoring the other person and recognizing uh, the fact that they too have gifts. And you have to have a proper balance and proportion as to how you see their particular gifts. So this boils down to two things. What I think of myself or what you think of yourself. Let not a man think more highly than he ought to think of himself. So it has to do with balancing what you think of yourself. And number two what you think of others, and others preferring one another. See? What I think of myself and what I think of others impact how I relate and how I react and respond to others. And it's the intersection of what I think of others and what I think of myself that really, really determines our actions and behavior. And we will either result in elevating ourselves or we will end up in devaluating others. And Paul is saying to you, quite frankly, in this passage, as a believer, put others before yourself. I don't know if you know this, but throughout Christian history, nothing has done more irreparable damage to the life of the church than the failure to put this injunction that Paul mentions here into practice. It has resulted in chaos, in confusion, in division, in, in, in schisms. Uh, and simply because uh, people don't have a right attitude towards other people. You remember uh, the 
church at Corinth. And uh, we don't have to go through the passage to, um, to fully garner what that is about. But in Corinthians chapter 3 and 4, remember that Paul had to deal with this whole problem of attitude of these Corinthians. And the reason why Paul had to do with the attitude of these Corinthians is because they were putting Paul and Apollos and Peter and they were having different attitudes towards these men. They were not looking at the fact that Apollos has the gift of eloquence. He's a fantastic speaker. Paul has the gift of teaching. He's very didactic in his teaching. Peter, on the other hand, neither has speaking ability nor teaching ability, but he's very, very practical. He can take this and apply it. So the problem is that they are now demeaning the apostle Paul. They're saying, you know, Apollos has far more eloquence than you. We love Apollos. We love him. And they began to attack uh, Paul uh, they were saying, you know what, Apollos is our favorite preacher, Paul. Number two, they were saying, you know, we have a wisdom that not even you, Paul, has assured that when Paul has to rebuke them for that. And then thirdly, they were saying, you know, we, we, we really don't value your ministry as much as we value Apollos' ministry. That was the attitude towards Paul. They had a belligerent attitude towards Paul, a disdainful attitude. They said, you know, when he is away... He can speak boldly. But when he's with us, he's like a little pussycat. He can't say anything. See? That's what it said. His speech is contemptible. He's a man of words when he's away, but when he comes, he can't even speak well. That was their view. Of, that was their attitude towards Paul. And Paul had to deal with it. And the way that Paul deals with this carnal attitude that was manifested by these Corinthians and so that they have a, a better balanced understanding of what our text means, I, I want to use that to show you that don't carry this verse to the wrong extent. And when I explain what it is, we can give the impression that when that Paul said, you know, you're not preferring one another, that uh, you'd be so reticent and so reserved that when you ought to do something, you don't do it. For example, something needs to be done in the church. You know you've got the gift and the talent to do it. You know God has given the gift and the talent. You know that. But you can take this verse where you push forward so-and-so to do the job who doesn't have the gift and the talent to do it. Now that's mock modesty. That's not what Paul is teaching. I'll show you that's not what Paul is teaching. Because the same man that told you prefer one another, he told these, these Christians, follow me. Follow me. Is he contradicting himself? That's why he said you must have a proper evaluation of others and a proper evaluation of yourself. You need to know what your gifts and your talents are and what the gifts and talents of other believers are. You need to properly evaluate to know when you need to be reticent and when you need to be more forward in this matter. So Paul is not suggesting uh, in this text that we suspend 
facts and judgments and we ignore the God-given gifts that we have and push people forward who don't have the gifts that we have and don't have the talents that we have. That would be a direction of duty and would cause more chaos and more dis, 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 um, ineffectiveness in the church. So that's what Paul is saying. In other words, he's not calling for a mock modesty. He's asking to be very, very real. That's why the word honor has to do with evaluating something and putting a price on it. You look at it very carefully, you assess it, and you say, this is what the price is. That's what you need to do with believers. You should have an idea in our church, who can do what? Who has talent for what? That's what you should do. And assess that. And based on that, you operate within that sphere. Be sure to join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us how to avoid false modesty and have a balanced view when preferring others. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.